Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Life Like a Movie podcast. This is the podcast where you can come to learn from the best people around the world, the best ideas and resources for how you can create your dream life, because we are the director of our own life's movie, and we're also the main character. And today we have a very special guest because I've come to learn that it's not just about creation or looking forward into the future or adding things on to our life. It's about removing things and letting things go from our past and really reconnecting with who we are and what we've been through. And I have one of the best guests on planet earth um, here that I could talk to you about this, a harm reduction reduction specialist, Tessa Reynolds. Um, She's been doing this for some time now. She works with formerly unhoused individuals and her main focus is to help them remain housed, cultivate dignity and be accepted in the world. And her mission is to help people understand their traumas and hopes it will inspire positive change. So I'm very, very blessed to have you here today, Tessa. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, Brett, for having me. It's an honor to be able to speak on this level for, you know, the people I serve and work with. Beautiful. Thank you. Um, So the first question I'd love to ask you is, you know, why should people listen to this podcast right now? You know, what is, why is harm reduction, trauma, why are these subjects important to educate the masses on? Well, I'll start with something that I saw just recently, which I'm really excited about seeing harm reduction kind of moving into the forefront of treatment and just life in general. Uh, New York Times just did a full page promotion with a big heart that was about harm reduction and how harm reduction works. So I'm really, really excited to see how the movement has been happening. I've been working as a drug and alcohol counselor for the past 10 years and to see like where harm reduction was when I was in my studies to where it is now is pretty amazing with the exposure that it's been getting. So I just, I, I don't know. It's, it's not just about drug use. It's kind of a way of life with harm reduction and an unconditional Mm -hmm. positive regard of accepting humans exactly how they are. So that's, that's why I would listen. That's that's beautiful. And can you just explain for people that don't know what harm reduction is, what harm reduction services are? Definitely. Harm reduction is, is known to be quote unquote controversial because people tend to believe that it is the opposite of abstinence-based treatment, where when we look at traditional treatment modalities in our country, uh, we tend to say no substances are accepted within this treatment yes. facility or whatnot. And harm reduction, how I've learned it and utilize it, it's not where some people might think the myth is we're enabling people to use substances and you know helping them basically use substances, it's actually a stepping stone to hopefully become abstinent if that's your goal. You know, we don't force people to make ideas about what they need to do with their lives. The main thing I can say about it is like kind of the the staple quote is meeting people where they're at. You know, it's not having an agenda when working with someone, it's accepting somebody exactly how they are or who they are regardless of where they're at in their stage of life, stage of change, stage of recovery. So with yes. that being said, it is, it is not the opposite of, a, of abstinence-based treatment. As a health practitioner in this country, of course, we would want people not to use substances, you know, if it's having a negative impact on their life. But the reality is thousands and millions of people use substances daily without impact on their life, you know? And I think that mm-hmm. we tend to focus on the very severe cases of addiction versus just, you know, the person that goes out on a Friday night and has a couple of beers. So that's a socially acceptable addiction, right? Where someone can go have a couple of beers, party with their friends, go back to work on Monday. We don't, you know, so if we look at that, there's way more people that are utilizing substances in that capacity than in the capacity that, you know, their primary purpose for life is to use. Yes. I understand the difference there. And uh, it was interesting. And I think the, the reason why I, I see it as extremely powerful is because there's such a, there's this sense of acceptance. There's this lack of shaming, which people with addictions commonly go through. And I was actually in a men's circle just at my place here a couple of days ago. And one guy brought up his addiction and he was the first one of, in the men's circle to actually like share something like that vulnerable. And it was beautiful because every single man in the circle had something to share with him. Whereas before one guy's like, yeah, I'm having this problem in my business, you know, very kind of like a problem for him undoubtedly, but it was more surface level. And everyone could relate to the guy who said, I had this addiction. Everyone had something to say, but the guy with the business problem, two people, three people had something to say. 
So it, it really showed me this lesson of like, everyone has these challenges. Everyone can relate to an addiction. Everyone can relate to it. And, but there's this shaming around it that kind of blocks this sort of conversation around it, that, that blocks this exchange. And I was actually watching a Gabor video right before this, Gabor Mate video right before this podcast to kind of prep myself because I know that you're very into his, his work. And I was seeing some of the comments of some of the people that have been addicted. And they're like, addiction is like the only certainty in my life. Addiction is the most stable thing in my life. And like for a traditional approach to completely take that away, no, you can't have your substance while you're with us. That's going to feel so shaky for them and uncertain where you guys give them a more nurturing approach more of like, we're going to love you through this and accept you unconditionally through this process. So I would love it if you could touch a little bit deeper on the power of this compassion and unconditional love and why it's healing. Yeah. <clears throat> Thank you. Um, got a lot there that you just said. Thank you. Yeah. It's amazing. So definitely the stigma is a huge part of what I hear you conveying of people like not even wanting to speak about addiction, right? Because we yeah. live in such a culture with stigma and if, if it was more accepted, I believe people would be more vulnerable with where they're at in their addiction and be able to actually seek help, you know, and that's exactly where harm reduction is definitely, it's, it's for me and it's for the people I work with because they don't have to be anything but who they are. Like in, during my group, my, my, my four rules to attend my harm reduction group are come as you are, get what you want, leave when you'd like, and I can't remember the other one right now, but that one doesn't yes. matter at this time. But, you know, yes. it's just really about like, just come in, just have sit down. Let's, let's have a talk. Let's see where you're at. So yes. it's definitely one of the most like when I think of trauma informed care, I, I just it's it's harm reduction. This is exactly where trauma informed care, I think, was developed and is being seen the most is just being with people because the job for me is really to try to keep somebody alive long enough for them to realize that they're even worthy of, you know, going into treatment or they're worthy of, you know, having a connection with their children again or whatever, you know, the deficit is that they're struggling with in their life. But when you say Gabor Mate, that, that hits home so well for me, because that's probably the one person that really helped change the, not really change, but kind of match what I was already thinking of addiction in terms of like, mm -hmm. like I said, you know, we're, have people come into an abstinence-based program, they test positive, we want to kick them out. You know, that's not helping somebody treat their addiction. That's giving them, for my eyes, more reasons to go use substances, right? Now I have increased shame because I didn't meet up to your expectations. I've been ouched from a circle that might've been helping me. I'm no longer welcome. Like there's just so many things in that where people tend to now have a hundred more reasons to go try to uh, take away the pain that they're in because of the yes. treatment that they were given from a facility that was supposed to bring them in and help them. So when I see someone, you know, struggling with use, I want to give them more attention, give them more services, you know, but we tend yes. to just say, I'm sorry, you're not worth quote unquote being in this program because your symptoms are arising. So I see that, you know, you, we couldn't do this work without compassion. That's really oh what it is. And to be able, like for me being in this work, to just be able to sit with somebody and they're suffering, yes. it's just, it's beyond anything. We live in a culture that we suffering, it's, it's all around us, right? We see it every day. If it's in your life, if it's in the guy on the street, if it's on the person struggling to get on the bus, whatever, you know, it is. But there's a lot of folks that they just want, we want to get rid of the suffering. We don't want to see the suffering. Yeah. You know? like I live <laughs> yes. in the Bay area. And what do we do? We're trying to push the suffering to the side so we can build all these high rises or we're trying to hide the suffering over there instead of just going, this is humanity. This is where we're at in our culture. What are we going to do about it? You know, yes. we have a huge issue with homelessness, uh, homelessness of overdose crisis. Like we just have so many things right now that, you know, we'd rather just kind of, eh, let's put it over there and focus on this or focus on something else. So yes. I just, I I love the work because it really, it brings, it just brings you to the people you don't have to, yes. and for me, I don't have to be anyone. I'm not, I don't have to act like I know this. I don't have to yes. pretend that I did this. I just get to be real and just be with somebody when they need someone, you know? Yes. Um, so beautiful. I have chills throughout my entire body right now, listening mm -hmm. to that. There's so much I can relate to there. Um, where I want to, where I want to go with this is 
I want to talk about trauma and some ways that you see that really help people. Some of the common themes that really help people heal their past and reconnect with themselves. Um, and the reason I want to do this is because for anyone listening, who's like, this podcast doesn't relate to me. Well, first of all, the perspective of compassion for people that are suffering more than you is going to benefit you so much because you might feel more called to give. You might see how your life is so great already. And also, you know, I don't want to let you off the hook because everyone listening has likely more than likely had an addiction in their own life as well. Um, because addictions are not just, and correct me if I'm wrong, Tessa, but addictions are not just heroin or a substance of some kind. Addictions could be you know, technology addiction, it could be social media, it could be video games, it could be eating food, it could be exercise. Um, I know someone who's exercised like six hours a day. And then, you know, is the same thing. It's something that affects you. So Gabor Mate's definition is something that you crave in the short term, is pleasurable in the short term, but has negative consequences in the long term. But despite those negative consequences, the person still doesn't want to give it up. And I know for me in my life, that was food and probably exercise. That was my that was my favorite flavor. Um, so what I want to share is, Tessa, what is trauma? What's the essence of it? And what are some ways that you've seen in your work that people can overcome this trauma, like these sort of traumatic <clears throat> events? Because I really want to give people some takeaways for how they can overcome their own trauma and like what it is, like what are the, what is this thing that's plaguing us from living our dream life and how we can overcome it? What are some simple ways we can overcome it? Yeah. Thank you. Um, with trauma, and we'll just give a working definition, you know, it comes from the works of Peter Levine and Gabor Mate. They tend to both say that trauma isn't what happened to us. It's what happens inside of us as a result of what happened to us. Because you're definitely talking about, you know, we all just went through a pandemic. We're still in a global pandemic in our country, your country, where you're, you know, residing at this time. And we've all been in some effect affected by it. You know, if it was positively, if it was negatively, we've all gone through something that has completely shifted our world as we saw it on a day-to-day -day basis. And so I tend to look at, you know, I'll give an example, like, you know, you're sitting where you're at, I'm where I'm at. Let's say we're in the same room and there's an earthquake, right? You may be like, oh, cool. I've done this before. No biggie. And I might just be so rattled up because I've never been through, right. so, you know, we both went through the exact same experience in that moment. Your experience was completely different than mine, right? We don't, we don't have the same experience when events happen to us. So what I hear you speaking of is something that we tend to work with, you know, as healthcare, as practitioners and myself as a harm reduction specialist is the big T traumas and the little T traumas, right? We really glorify and look at, not glorify, but we tend to know, okay, yeah, somebody that's been sexually assaulted, that has been, you know, abused as a child, that's trauma. hundred percent, we will not debate that, right? That person has trauma in them, but we tend to not look at the things that, maybe didn't happen for this person. Maybe they mm -hmm. had a, you know, jailed parent. So they had a one, you know, parent household. That was, that's, that's hard for a child, you know, to just be connected with one parent, not have two. We might look at something, you know, divorce. I'm kind of leaning towards the adverse childhood experiences where they did a study through that. And they really looked at how people, were affected by things that we weren't looking at as trauma, you know, a incarcerated parent, a parent with a mental health concern, a, you know, somebody that was abused, somebody neglected, a divorce, like divorce is so common in our culture. Do we really look at it like, gosh, my children might be traumatized now because we just got divorced. We might not, but I might want to say, check in with your kids because they might be, you know, there's, there's a shift in their environment. So it's just these little nuances that we, you know, we, don't really look at as traumas. I think we're getting better at that as a culture, right? We're having this kind of trend I'm seeing like, oh, trauma, trauma, it's everywhere. We're looking for, you know, ways to heal or work through our trauma. But I'll tell you the, the folks I work with, they have probably been through some of the most horrific traumas that I have seen. They have been coming, you know, it was kind of that thinking of like, you were, you know, you were you weren't dealt a good hand from the start. You know, there wasn't a lot of opportunity for the folks that I work with from the beginning. And if there was, there was something that, you know, happened to them in their early childhood that changed their perception on life, their views of themselves in the world. And that's, you know, a huge thing that we tend to look when we're traumatized is the world becomes a scary place. You yeah. know, my world is beautiful. It wasn't for a long time when I was trying to heal, you know, a lot of my trauma that I had gone through, but now I'm like, God, I love my life. It's beautiful. But ask me, 
you know, prior to my own recovery and my own healing, oh no, it was scary and terrifying. And, you know, I was anxious and it's just, you know, there's so much in this that I could talk with you for hours on this topic because it's everywhere, you know, and I, I really appreciate what you said because it is even statistically known that one person's addiction affects 18 people, you know, and that's not wow. just you, it's your family, it's your coworkers, it could be your children, it could be your roommates, it could be, you know, a financial institution, a hospital, because you're overdosing. It's just, there's so many people involved in one person's addiction, right? Like, yes. I don't know if you have anyone in your family, but you, you shared about, you know, your own tendencies and that's yeah. reality. We all, we're all addicted to something that takes the pain away. You know, we don't want to be in pain. Sure. <laughs> and that's the idea of, you know, when you again mentioned Gabor, what is, he says, it's not the addiction. It's, it's not why the addiction, but why the pain, you know, yeah. and that's what my work is. I want to work with these folks and help them understand why they have this pain, you know, and that why how they're using substances, it's, it's a positive thing. It's, it's solving their problem right now. It isn't making the problem like, okay, yeah, yeah, we can debate this. Eventually it might become the problem. It stops working, but as do all medications, right? We build a tolerance to Paxil. We might need an increase, you know, we don't stigmatize that or let me misspeak actually, because we still do have a pretty big stigma on mental health and seeking treatment for that. But it's yeah, the things I've heard from the clients I work with, I, I can't, it's like we say at work a lot of the time, I couldn't make this stuff up. You know, it's some of the most severe and saddening things that humanity has ever gone through, but to watch them wake up for life and to know that there's something worth living for, you know, and understanding that as you know, and I know the wisdom of trauma, right? Not even just the movie and the film, but like the culture of knowing that there's wisdom in our trauma. We tend yes. to look at it like, oh, this thing that happened to me, right? But it happened to you, hopefully for a reason where you can use it to, you know, generate some life for yourself to really look at, you know, why did this happen to me? And how can I utilize it, you know, and in the future to maybe help someone to maybe, you know, get better on your own or with support, but it, it's just, yeah, yeah there's, we, we can't deny that there's not trauma in our culture, in our world and, we have, you know, we, everyday we, life. Yeah. I would say we live in a very traumatized culture at large. And, um, I've, um, kind of intuitively kind of saw that three years ago when I started this podcast, like I was saying, it was to like help heal, like what society wants us to do. And, you know, do what we really want to do. That's a very surface level that I was at, at that stage. Like, just like, yeah, why is, why is, you know, school teaching me this? And I, you know, I want to go do that, but it goes a lot, it goes a lot deeper than that. It's like, we live in this culture who the people that are leading our country even um, have traumas that are undealt with. And so they're communicating from those places. Um, something I wanted to share was about the one addiction affects 18 people. I've never heard that before. And that's staggering, but it's also very believable for me. So there is somebody in my family who's going to go unnamed who um, I've seen suffering someone who's close to me. And I was really shocked when um, like for, that was a whole journey for me um, to go through that. But I noticed that all of the family around him was unsupportive. There was so much shame and it was like this one person by themselves. And there's all this shame around them from the people that are supposed to love him and support him through something like this. And and I also, I know this person very well. And this person, um, you know, their dad left them when they were, they were four years old, just left mm -hmm. them. The oldest of um, six kids, um, you know, with all younger sisters. And it's like how the responsibility that places on that, the lack of attention that that person gets. Yeah. And all this started making so much sense for me in the last year, but like, for me, what I'm very emotionally charged about right now is really changing the conversation of how we view people that are going through these challenges. It's not a moral choice. They're not bad people. They've just been hurt in the past and they've been hurt by people that were hurt. It's not, it's nobody's fault. And I just, I'm just so passionate about changing this conversation because the 18 people that it affects, most of those 18 people don't have tremendous compassion for the addictive person. Most mm -hmm. coworkers, most family members of those 18 don't have compassion for the addictive person. And so it's no wonder that a person thinks I'm unworthy, I'm unloved, I don't even deserve to go to treatment. These sorts of thoughts that just might sound crazy to somebody listening, but these are the thoughts that people have. These are the feelings that people experience. 
because they're not giving this compassion and love unconditionally. So I just want to drive that point home. And now I want to go to how to heal the pain. So you mentioned your own journey and I've definitely had my own journey of healing the pain from my past and I'm still going through a journey on this. And we'd just love to know from you some of the best ways that you found to heal the pain. Like any, any ways that you found that really, really seemed to work. Like for me, the thing that I found that works really well for me and people I work with has been breath work, has been taking people through long scale, two hour breath work sessions. This seems to really allow us to drop into our body and reconnect with ourselves, reconnect to past experiences and move some of this energy. Um, and so we'd just love to know from you some of the ways that you found that worked for you, but also you're in this work every day. What helps really deeply heal a trauma? Well, with that, with what you just said at the end, with what helps really heal, deeply heal a trauma, I think it's, it's having support. It's having an abiding witness. You know, I'll sit with people while they're crying and they've cried about say this subject or this incident for years, but something shifts in them when there's, there's presence with them. There's somebody there, there's like a container holding them. Right. And it's, it's almost like you needed to be held in those moments when you weren't, and I'm not physically even holding these people, just having that space and knowing that they can express themselves just authentically where they're at, I think is a huge way that people get in touch with what's really underneath the suffering, you know, there's, there's beauty and there's life underneath the suffering. It's trying to like, I keep thinking of this vision because we're using suffering of this quote I saw where a hand is holding a rope, you know, and it says, pain is inevitable. Suffering's a choice, you know, like let go because it's dragging this person's hand. And it's like, we have to, you know, and it's not that easy to just let go. We can't let go of traumatic events that have happened in our life. We have to move through them and have faith and understanding that there's possibility beyond this, you know, trauma restricts us in our world. It makes us believe that things are unsafe. I mean, you know, I have so many people that come down to my office and say, I don't feel safe, you know? And it's like, well, I need to know how you feel. Cause you're telling me you're not feeling safe. I don't know how you feel. I, I know you, you, what you don't feel is safe, you know, but it's just, how do I help this person feel safe? I can't do that. I can't say, well, let's do this and that. And you're going to feel safe. You know, there's going to be like a reconnecting with their essence, like the part of them that knows that they're safe is, yes. is just has to be refound, you know, cause it's in all of us, you know, and it may not have even been cultivated a, a young age, as you were saying of like this past traumas kind of coming up, you know, it's, that's, that's how we start our life. Right. Even think of childbirth. That must be so traumatic for something, you know, like, boom, you're out in this big, bright world now. Like, Whoa, how scary. I was in this warm little cocoon of, you know, or everybody, you know, had their own experience. I'm sure. But even just that in itself, I had this thought like, God must be so traumatic and scary for my being and my cells and my, you know, vessels and everything inside of me to just be like, Boop, welcome, ah, yeah. you know, and here you are. And then who knows what's going to happen from that day forward. And, you know, we're not, we don't have the equality and our, our world that everyone gets this opportunity. And, you know, where I look at the folks I work with, a lot of them were just born into this. None of them are choosing this. None of them were saying, Hey, I want to go, you know, be a street dweller. And no, a lot of them had, you know, chaotic childhoods, had parents that were addicted, had parents that were unhoused, had generations of trauma, right? If we can, if we can pass down trauma, can't we pass down healing too? Like, can't we yeah. just do that next? Like we, 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 got it. We passed down generational trauma, but let's start passing down generational healing, right? Like I can pass this on to my kids so they can know and have these coping skills, but to, to touch more on your question on what works, it's, it's so individualized for people, you know, like you were saying this morality, you know, this moral flaw that we tend to jump. It's really easy to just say, God, that person's making a bad choice. We must punish them. You know, how yeah. can you punish somebody that is carrying toxic shame? How can you punish somebody that's living in the streets, you know, injecting drugs in their arm? Like the, don't, can we all just kind of raise our hands or agree and say, seems like they're punishing themselves enough, right? Why do we need to bring the justice system in to yes. say, let me reinforce that you already believe you are a bad person. So let me help you <laughs> think of that more, you know, and it's just, it's so, but for, for, in terms of like tangible things, in terms of healing, writing about your experience, finding people you trust to share your experience with what you're saying, breath work, right? Paying attention to your body, you know, again, we're going to bring Gabor's name up a lot in this. I'm, I'm trained in compassionate inquiry. So I tend to like, he has this wonderful thing where 
if there's tension, give it attention. And it's like magical. I'll be like, Oh my God, my shoulder hurts. You know, I can just take a minute and like be with my shoulder. And all of a sudden I'm giving it the attention. It needs something in my body is saying, Hey, pay attention, pay attention to me. And I can just be like, ah, I got to keep working on that. I got to keep moving forward. So I'm not going to stop and be with this pain. Right. But as soon as I pay attention to that, I'm not saying this just because I want people to believe it, do it yourself. It starts to dissipate. The pain starts to go away. And but the pain also had a message for me, right? Maybe I am working too hard. Maybe I do need, you know, to look at this incident that happened weeks ago that I might be carrying on my shoulder, you know, whatever the message is, but also and expressive art, dance, movement. Like there's so many things that people can get involved in to, you know, start shifting the way our organisms are already, you know, in this world. Yes. But I think talking to people, you know, for me was the, the, was the most helpful, you know, to call people and just know there's somebody that cares about me on the other side. And if you don't have that, there's hotlines, there's, you know, there's other ways, there's texting, you know, we can do all sorts of things to connect with people if we don't have that, yes. you know, person in our life that we can depend on. Yes. Yes. Thank you for sharing all those, um, all those different sorts of answers. And um, I, I love all of them. And I want to say as well, like in the middle of a breathwork session to what, what you said from Gabor is that w- when there's tension, give it attention and that all tension, all sensations are giving us a message of some kind. And oftentimes, like you said, I've definitely been there where I think that my work is more important than my body's health or like, I feel this pain, but nah, it's funny when you did, when you moved your arms like this, I'm like, I know that, <laughs> Yo, back to work, you know, and, um, <laughs> you know, keep the, keep the train going. Um, but it's really, it really is so important. And what we'll, I'll have someone come into a breathwork session with say lower pain, lower back pain, or maybe during their breathwork session, some pain that, oh my God, it comes up. And we always say, breathe into the pain, assuming it is too uncomfortable, mm-hmm. stop, but we always say, breathe into the pain. And we and inevitably will find that within five minutes, 20 minutes, the pain, often even severe back pain can even go away because the emotion that was stuck around that area was able to release with kind of the, the flow of energy that the breath is bringing. And I'm really a big fan of breath work, but I also see the power of dance or movement or art. And what I'm seeing is that there's just this thing about expressing, expressing without the, the, the thinking mind, so to speak, just kind of writing, expressing, feeling. And I think that one of the things I see, and I wanna get your two cents on this to make it really simple is that the journey our society needs to take is what I've seen as the longest journey, the toughest journey that any of us can ever take but it's only 12 inches it's from the head to the heart, you know? Mm-hmm. And yeah. I, I really think that to come back into our heart and express something or feel something that we haven't given a chance to express or feel to me, these sorts of any tool that gets a person to a, a real authentic expression to me seems to be extremely healing, but I want to get your two cents on that. Yeah. I'm, I'm hundred percent in agreement with that. We need to pay attention to our heart, right? Our head, our heart, and our gut, let's throw our gut in there too. Cause our gut always tells us what we need, what we know, right? We can question it. We can not go with it, but I'm sure everyone's had a gut feeling, didn't go with it and went, ah, shucks, or <laughs> had a gut feeling and went with it and said, ah, I knew that my, you know, my gut, I trusted my gut, you know, and that's, that's our internal compass. That's, that's, that's born with us. That tells us danger, fright, you know, pain that that tells us what we need to know but we tend to intellectualize right like i can be like oh i should do that and then i go oh my maybe not i need to go back to work you know whatever the thing inside i can talk myself out of my gut and then i go oh no i should have trusted my gut and <laughs> stayed home today now i'm sick or you know whatever it is there's you know millions and billions of examples with that but i definitely agree we need to you know we're so in our head we're very yeah. you know from the neck up. This is where we do a lot of our work, a lot of our thinking, you know, and, and myself included, I forget to breathe. Like, ah, oh, all right. There's a body down here. There's way more, you know, there's 90 more percent of me, you know, this is 10. There's my 90%. I'm not even paying attention to, right. It's like, yeah. it's, it's definitely what we need. Yeah. Heart, head and gut intuitions. We have so much just beauty inside of us that we tend to, like you're saying, I love, I love the, the reason for this podcast, like trying to live your, what was, what was it? Your, yeah, your dream life. Right. And I'm going to say, God, I'm living mine. I'm doing the work I want to be doing. I'm hanging out with people that, you know, are just amazing, beautiful people that society wants to cast aside and say, Hey, you're not worried. It's just, it's so interesting that I'd rather sit on the sidewalk with this guy that, you know, is, 
has sores on him and he's, you know, not clean and whatever else than sit in an office with that fancy, fancy person. It's just, it's so interesting, like how I'm conditioned now to be with these folks and just to love and care and uplift and whatever I can, I can get you to smile. Sweet. My, my job was done, you know, just something that is just so humanistic that they don't tend to get from society. You know, we look at these folks as invisible. We walk past them. We don't realize you're a mother, you're a child, you're a loved one. You're, you know, you, I could be you. I mean, I'm living in the Bay area, working in nonprofit work. I could be moments away from, you know, it's just, we, we, we take for granted what we have is, you know, people that aren't, that are living housed and indoors and are employed and all these things that we get. So yeah, we need more heart Need to work more from our heart. I really like that. I agree. And I would actually love to get some of the beliefs that you have about your work, because as I'm listening to you, I'm kind of hearing some of the beliefs that you have about your work. And so for you, what it takes for you to feel successful is making someone smile. My job is done. You said, yeah. when I make and yeah. for me, that is so beautiful because that's something very attainable on a daily basis is making somebody smile, especially you. This is the work you're talking to people all day. You can make some people smile. And in my work, what I'm seeing when people go about living their dream life, they make it so freaking hard to feel successful. Like I've, I've worked with someone who thinks they have to have a billion dollars and like um, people loving them all the time and a great family. And then I'll feel successful. It's so crazy. But for you, you're saying all I have to do is just make someone smile and I'm successful. But I want to know some of your other beliefs about living from your heart. Cause I want to know, I want to know the beliefs that are, that are giving you this perception of compassion for people. Like I got like, for example, a belief that somebody might have about a homeless person walking by the street who's invisible. If I was that person, maybe I believe that um, homeless people, no, 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 that's too simple. I was going to say homeless people don't matter, but something like only people with, you know, wealth, I should talk to or like maybe it's a status driven belief Mm. but for you you might have a belief that we're just one big family on this earth do you know what i mean like what what are the perceptions or beliefs that give you this place of compassion for for people because i want i really want people to be able to work in these new beliefs into their life Hmm. i think like i'm i i do i do i tend to like like when you we talk about say compassionate inquiry or like, you know, our childhood traumas and earlier before we got on, we were talking about how they tend to show up in our adult life, right? Like I have this unique way of when, you know, someone can say, oh, look at that asshole over there. He's yelling at, you know, and I can tend to look at that man and go, sad little kid didn't get what he wanted when he needed it. You know, it's like this way of just putting this perspective on the world that like, we're all these little kids that didn't get what we needed, you know, in some capacity or another, if we work as much as we can to prove to ourselves that we're worthy, you're, you missed something in childhood. You weren't given what you need. You know, we can convince ourselves, yay, I'm all successful, but there's an emptiness maybe inside of someone. You know, I, I watched this documentary just years ago when I was first in this field and it was called happy and it was on Netflix and it, really portrayed how money can't buy happiness. Right. And it really helped me understand, like, you're right. Like I believe, yeah, more money. I'll be happier. I can go vacation. I can go do this. Like for a certain amount. Yeah. That would definitely help me be happier, but they really studied like how, once you have this much money and say, you know, 50,000 a year, and then you go to 500,000, you don't really increase a lot of happiness going from 500,000 to 4 million. It's like, no, the happiness are these intrinsic things inside of us, you know, having a purpose in the world, being connected to others, like, you know, caring about yourself and the world and all of that greatness that we have. But so I think the perceptions are just, you know, that help, like you're saying that help me be able to do this work. I don't know. I just, there's just a belief that everybody is worth it. You know, even if it's somebody that has, you know, done horrific things. It's like, I have a way of going, there was a reason you did these horrific things, you know, or we have people that say, Oh, they, they're, Oh, they're just saying they're suicidal for attention. Give them attention. Then if that's what they're saying, then give them some attention. Like we tend to, Oh, just don't pay attention to it. They're just being dramatic. You know, it's like, obviously this person needs something, you know, or, Oh, they're just faking. Well, they're faking for a reason. They, they want some, some connection with people, you know? So I, I don't know. I I'm I'm perplexed with your question because I'm just like, trying to think of the ways that I connect with these folks. And I, sometimes I just can't put words to it. You know, I'm just like, 
I just be, I just, I show up. I have people, you know, they, I go to their, we, I work in a permanent supportive housing site where I, you know, we, I actually work on site where these folks live and I can go to your door. You don't answer, but guess what? I'm going to keep coming to your door. So I've spent like, you know, yeah. eight months going to the same lady's door every week and she didn't answer. And then one day she answered and wow. you should see her today. You should see where she's at now. But it was like, I could have given up on week two or three and said, you know, I'll go work with somebody that like will answer their door. But what is that going to show this person that's behind the door? Cause I know she's behind the door. You know, it's not, she's not out on the town, just not answering, you know, like it showed her that, whoa, there's, there's, there's someone in this world that might think I'm worth healing. There's someone in this world that might mm -hmm. think I can get something different than what I have. And it was true because now we work so well together, but it, again, I could, and I see people, you know, we just, we tend to give up, you know, oh, they're not ready. Oh, we'll wait till they're ready. And then they'll come to us. No, 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 no. Put the effort in because that person's never going to be ready to be, you know, unsocially anxious to come into a big group of people, like whatever their thing is behind that door, for instance, you know, I don't know what it is, but I know there's a reason you're not answering and no, I'm not taking it offensively. No, I'm not going to turn my back on it. You know, I'm going to continue to show up every week for you just to show up. So, you yeah. know, that there's someone out there, you know, so it's just, I think just being connected with people is, you know, I think Jonah Hari, I might be butchering his name, but he did a wonderful eight minute YouTube video about how everything we learned about addiction is wrong. It's about connection, you know, and I've really found that in my work that the healing happens when we're connected with people. Like when we were talking about trauma earlier, like we heal in connection. Like I don't heal isolated in my room from my trauma. I heal like this, talking with you and breath work and, you know, finding these com commonalities in our world that resonate and going, whoa, there's other people that are doing this or, you know, going into a, you know, a support group and saying, whoa, I'm not the only one. There's other people that are going through this. You know, there's so much power with connecting with like-minded and unlike-minded people for that instance, you know? Yes. Um, I mean, my God, there's so much I can say there. And I, I want to go back to something that you said, because, because in, in the work I've seen, I, I've found myself having similar thoughts, which um, I'm not necessarily super proud to say, but I've, I've seen myself at times when I see someone who is going through pain, but they just want attention for it. I've seen myself judge them for wanting attention. Like, why don't you just heal with the deeper pain? And by the way, I just want to present saying that I know that in my life, I never felt at times, I felt like my needs didn't matter. And I still to this day catch myself at times, mm. not wanting to help somebody if they're crying for their needs, because I, I think subconsciously I hold some resentment for my needs not getting met. And I, so I noticed that in myself and something I'm working through consciously. But I want to ask a question about like, how long is too long? Or is there a point of too long for reinforcing somebody's say like propensity for wanting attention or wanting a certain drug and like because i'm sure you get this question a lot in the work that you do people i'm sure there's a lot of people that say you're just reinforcing their bad behavior i'm sure you get that a lot and so i would love to know your answer to like how long is too long to reinforce a pattern or is there a point that's too long or is it there by reinforcing maybe you're really giving them the connection they need to have a perspective such that they decide to stop or decide to make a change because in the work that I do, I sometimes hear other coaches or therapists in my, in my space talk about like, just stop the pattern. Just like, you know, it's like the more you, it's like practice, the more you practice feeling unworthy, the more you're going to feel it. Just stop, just practice and do something different. And I know that it's not that easy for a lot of people, yeah. but I want to know for you, like, where is this balance or is there a balance that's needed for like, are you just reinforcing? Are we just reinforcing the patterns in people by constantly giving them attention for their suicide? So they hold on to the identity that I'm a suicidal person or I'm worthless because that's the only way they can get attention. Are you yeah. feeling me? Do you have a response? Yeah, I am. Yeah. Yes. Well, first I want to say, give yourself some compassion. If you're not the person to show up for them, that's okay. There's going to be somebody in this world that's going to have that capacity to show up for them. You know, it sounds like whatever that person was going through or that example you shared, it, it, it triggered maybe something inside of you that you needed to pay attention more than that person at the time. Right. So always pay attention to yourself first, because we can't do this work or help people if we're not, you know, helping ourselves first, you know, and not in a selfish way, but you know, I'm not going to throw out the self-care, you know, it's, do that. But you know what, you get what I'm saying. Like we are the number one people in our lives. If we're not 
if we don't have our mask on, how am I going to put that kid's mask on? Right. We're riding on an airplane. I always say, put yours on first. You know, of course you want to put your kid's mask on first. The kid, you love them. You want, you know, but you can't help people unless you're not taking care of yourself. So there is that knowing that, you know, that if you don't have the capacity, don't try, let somebody, you know, refer out or help connect them to somebody or just show up as you are and see if it, you know, it tends to be the connection they need. But in terms of reinforcing, well, with my work, I'm like, gosh, it's like I told you, it's months before someone can open a door, years before somebody even comes down to my office to say, hey, I've lived here and I want to engage in the services, you know? So it's like, for me, I'm just, I'm kind of a like, I'm not going to give up on you because I've seen the world give up on these people. These people, excuse me, I hate to use that language and subjective, like, oh, they're different than me, you know, but for the context of this conversation, you know, the, the folks that I work with, it's like, yeah, I, I don't, I'm, if I do that, I'm just doing exactly what's been shown to you and over and over. So like, I almost have this little like he, he inside of me. That's like, watch me, you know, like you're going to come down here in a rage and, you know, cuss me out, blah, blah, blah. And trust me, I know this worked for you in the past. And it probably really works for you living outdoors where you get people away from you. You know, no one wants to go be by that angry, mad person. That's going to yell at them. But I go, watch me. I'll show up for you tomorrow. And I'll say, it's all good. You know? Yeah. Let's not have this verbal, you know, I I have my boundaries and I want to be respected as well as a human being, but I know that it's not about me, you know? And I think that that's the part that I'm really trying to stress is like when folks are in their process of wherever they are and their addiction and their healing and whatever concern they're dealing with, that's theirs. You know, they'll express it onto me as, you know, a provider or supporter, you know, a clinician or a harm reductionist, whatever you want to label me as. But it's so interesting because I don't take that stuff. I don't go, Oh God, they were so mean to me. I go, God, I wonder what's going on with that guy today that he's really got something going on, you know, but for me, and that's just, you know, for mine, but there are times, you know, when I'm like, okay, we are kind of in a stagnant area where there's not progress being made. And maybe, you know, trying to, I wouldn't say taking myself out of the equation, but maybe adding something else in the equation, you know, maybe saying, Hey, let's, talk with a psychiatrist that can also be your support. How about you, you know, trying to just increase the support network is what I think I'm going with because we, Mm -hmm. we live in a culture where like, do you know your neighbors? Do you, you know, just like things where it's like, we're all these humans, you know, I get on the bus and I want to talk to people. I don't want to like be on my iPhone. I'm like, you know, wait, isolated within these people. You know, I, I watch a lot of, or I read a lot of post secrets and the ones that hit me the most, if you're not familiar, it's a site where people can send in their secrets and, you know, you can read these secrets every Sunday and I've been doing it, you know, almost you know, far as I can remember in my lifetime, but the ones that get me the most are like, I feel alone when I'm in a crowd of people, you know, and it's like, how do we have so many people in our world that are, we're surrounded by all these people and you you're alone. Like, that's not the truth. Like, there's somebody out there, you know, I always get people, Oh, you're the only one. No, 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 no. You got this. And that, you know, like, don't make it all. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one that's going to, you know, get you to the place you need to go because quite honestly, that's going to be you and that's going to be your journey. So I can't have, I don't have like a, a, a black and white answer for your question because it, it's really subjective to where that person is, what the context of the relationship is, what you're, you know, bringing to it in terms of, are you the helper? Are you the getting help? It really, you know, it's, there's, there's a lot within relationships that it's like, yeah, but I would say if it's, if it's coming on to you that you're believing that you're not, you know, helping this person or you're reinforces, take a step back, you know, take care of you. You know, if it's because people are telling you, like you said, you know, people will probably say this and big true story. Yeah. We're trying to, you know, collaborate with other resources. And we got this community saying, Hey, 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 we don't want those people around this area. It's like, well, those people quote unquote, are sleeping on your front porch. So why not house them next to you in a beautiful apartment? You know, like, it's just, I don't want them in my backyard. It's like, well, they're, they're already there. So why don't we just try help support them in this culture of, you know, becoming people like we, if, if that's possible, and if not, let them be who they want to be. Why do we try to tend to want to change people all of a sudden? Well, you got to do this, you know? So that's really where I work is I don't go in with, what I'm going to do. You know, I just go in and see what's in front of me. I work with what's in front of me. I don't have an agenda. I don't think, oh, this person X, Y, and Z, they should 
do this. You know, I just go, what do you think you should do? And then we start these conversations, you know, but it's, it's, it's challenging. It's very challenging because humans are different. Our emotions are an array of, you know, what are you going to get today or yesterday or tomorrow? It's, you never know. Yeah. But keep trying, you know, but definitely I, I like, I like what you're saying. Check in with you, do it. Yes. I, I really appreciate that. And um, I, I definitely see that, that there's work I need to do there undoubtedly. Um, well, I, I really, appreciate- we all do. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We all need to do work there. You know, we all need to connect in a different, not in a different way, but you know, there's, uh, there's all sorts of ways to connect with people. Yes. Agreed. Um, well, Tessa, thank you so much for taking the time for this. Uh, I just appreciate your w- sharing your wisdom so much. And I really do mean that for me, it's been wisdom for me. I feel like I've learned so much and I really hope everybody else has been listening carefully and potentially ha- can take home with them a new perspective on addiction and um, potentially get involved. Yes, Tessa. Can I say something before I just want to kind of leave on this? Cause I really wanted to put this point out. If there are listeners on that, just like you're saying with my understanding of addiction, like look at our understanding of addiction in our culture. We have the disease model, right? Where there's a disease and this is, you know, we'll treat this like a disease and people deserve treatment. And then we have the choice model, as you said, the morality model, right? Where we can punish people because they made a bad choice. What's that about? We have these two philosophies of addiction that are completely contradicting. Are we going to criminalize someone because of their cancer? No, we're not. We're going to say, what kind of treatment do you want? How can we help you, sir? What do you need to do? Right? So it's like, even that in itself, when I really started dissecting, looking at what we've made addiction to be in this culture, those two are the most, and I'm sure you'll agree with me, the most profound and most taught schools of thought with addiction. And they're hundred percent contradicting each other. So right there in itself, I hope we can look at this information and say, and agree that, yeah, what's up with that? You know, why do we have two things? We're talking about the same thing, addiction, right? But it's just like, that baffles me so much where I'm like, we can't even figure out how to define addiction to figure out where it quote unquote came from, let alone how to treat it. So we're, we got a lot of work to do, you know, in our culture in terms of addiction, but it's not hopeless. We, we can, we've got the work, we've got the resources, we've got the knowledge, we've got to start, like we started this conversation with reducing the stigma and giving people a chance to be who they are, to express what they weren't able to express when maybe at a time was crucial that they needed to express it and they got shut down or, you know, whatever. But I just wanted to leave folks with that of kind of perplexity of we have the disease model and we have the justice system model. We don't have that with diseases. There's, I don't know any other disease that we would send someone to jail for (laughs) that we would ticket (laughs) someone for, you know, like it's just, it just makes no sense to me, but that's the world that we live in and that's what we have to work with. So we're going to continue to, do what we can do, you know, as harm reductionists and for yourself, breathwork practitioners and just keep, keep moving forward. So thank you. And I'll let you finish up. I apologize for, Hey, 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 I got one more thing. No, <laughs> no, it's, no, it's totally cool. I, I always end off with like, what's one last message you want to share. And I was, it's funny. I was about to ask that in like 30 seconds, but you, uh, you are intuitively ahead of me. Um, but I do want to leave you uh, off some space to share anywhere people can connect with you. Um, so if someone's inspired to reach out to you or to learn more about the work that you do, or maybe you could send people some resources, like any websites that people should check out or any information. Is there any resources you would want to offer people, even if it's just hitting you up on Facebook, for example? Yeah, definitely. So the, I'll start with definitely, since we've thrown his name out, Dr. Gabor Mate. He's been a huge influence and teacher throughout my work. And I would look into his compassionate inquiry modality. If you're looking for other ways to heal that aren't non-traditional therapy, he has a website, uh, drgabormate.com, I believe. And in addition to like compassionate inquiry, um, you can see me on the Wisdom of Trauma film that was produced by SAN, Science and Non-Duality. You can go to www.wisdomoftrauma.com. Um, right now the film is open to be watched by donation. If you can't afford the money, just, uh, you don't need to donate and you still have access to it. I have some things, you know, up there that I've gratefully, uh, done for Sands in terms of trauma and being a part of that film was by far like one of my biggest dreams come true thus far. 
And then um, in terms of personal, you can find me. I don't really, I don't do Instagram. Um, I do have a Facebook page. I would, I would encourage you to join the Wisdom of Trauma Facebook page. Everyone at, go watch that documentary and, and uh, join the group if you haven't already. Yeah, the, that, I facilitate or I moderate that page. So I'm very involved in it and I love it because I get to see what people are putting up there. And then um, in terms of other resources, I would say harmreductioncoalition.com has a lot of information about harm reduction, ways to help people stay safe and get your hands on Narcan, fentanyl testing strips, all of the mm -hmm. great things that we need right now to stay safe if you are a active or experimental drug user in our culture. I just want to put out there as my last thing, test your drugs if you're going to do them. Fentanyl is being infiltrated in every single substance right now, not just opiates. We're finding it in methamphetamines, cocaine, even laced on marijuana. Like it's, it's very saddening. Xanax pills, fake fentanyl, or excuse me, Percocets, like fentanyl is really being infiltrated into a lot of recreational drugs that people would not think they're going to be buying this substance and it might have fentanyl in it. So if you need resources or anything like that, I'd find, you know, definitely check out the harm reduction national coalition there kind of every county tends to have some sort of harm reduction resource and then yeah that's basically where i would find myself being connected to these like-minded people and being able to find me but mainly through the wisdom of trauma facebook pages where you could find me yes beautiful thank you so much again tessa um it was such a pleasure and for everybody else that's watching if life really is like a movie and that means that there's other characters in your movie. And sometimes they don't treat us the way that we need to be treated, but we are the main character in our own movie. And that means we can choose to ask for help. It means we can choose to make a change or take Tessa up on her, her offer and go to the Gabor Mate website. We have this power of decision. And so I think that's the most powerful thing of living our lives like a movie is we're the directors, we're the main characters. So just encouraging everyone to, if you feel inspired, if you feel called to, to really take Tessa up on the resources that she's giving because she's coming from a place of tremendous experience and depth um, of the human being and the human spirit. So um, I hope you take her up. And until next time, everybody, um, live with passion. Thank you so much, Tessa. Thank you, Brett.